Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We are working through it. Uh, we all work through things. We work through marriages. We look, work through relationships. We work through seasons in life. And we are on a journey to work through this thing called Christianity. The crucified life, the spirit-filled life. How do we work through it? How do we learn to live in the crucified life? And this morning I want to talk to you, part two, worship is service. Worship is service. Uh, we just had a worship service. How many think that was, it was a great day? Uh, a worship service. What is a worship service? One of our insider languages, I think, of the church. Worship service. Uh, what is a worship service? What's a church service? You know, uh, in the 60s, we had the Jesus Movement. Contemporary worship services kind of started about then. If you haven't seen the movie, go watch it. But, uh, we, but today, you know, if you go around America, you're kind of probably going to see similar things. We're going to have uh, welcome teams and ushers and greeters. You may have a nursery, probably free coffee at somewhere. Some bigger churches may have a coffee shop. Uh, we've got pianos and electric guitars, video projection. Uh, many churches have a paid pastor who gives a sermon, maybe staff pastors. There's probably a Sunday school, a kid's church, some announcements, an offering, an altar call, maybe even communion. And most churches today, because of COVID-19, have live streaming. And we can call that a worship service, a worship service. But is that something that's biblical? And I'm going to be honest with you, I've really come to hate the term worship service. Because in my mind, it sounds like worship serves us. Worship service. Worship serves us. Uh, because really, uh, we are the church. You know that if you're a part of Sanctuary, we say it all the time. It's on our back wall. Be the church. We are the church. We are the Holy Spirit Hospital. Church is not a building. It's not a location. It's not a place. It's not a time slot. It's not a program. It's not a pastor. It's not a team. It's the people of God being the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we don't go to church. We are the church. Amen. Uh, we are the church. So what, are, what do we do with these worship services? It's easy to worship the worship service in the modern church. People attend worship services today. We can come to find a church that fits your preference. We're so glad you're here, by the way. Uh, but I hope you're not here because of our programs or our preaching style or a feel-good experience or our worship team. Because many people can come to worship services and leave the same way they came in. You can come to a worship service and leave unchanged, uncommitted to the gospel mission, uncommitted to personal discipleship to go out and make disciples. You can come to a service that is, in your mind, there to serve us. Serve us. I have been, um, I've been around this Christian thing a long time, uh, third generation Christian uh, in my family. And uh, I have been to uh, 1930s worship services that were like a funeral parlor with, okay, come on somebody, anybody, all right. Uh, we have been to the funeral parlors that are worship services. And on the contrast, I have been to worship services with Aerosmith playing in the parking lot. We can swing the other direction, okay. And they had Star Wars characters taking up the offering. No lie, God is my witness. Uh, there has been a plethora of styles of worship services. But then on the other hand, I have been overseas and sat in plastic lawn chairs with dirt floors and a crooked stage with a fan and no AC and no windows. And I have felt the power of God fall mightily in a place, the tangible presence of the Shekinah glory of God to fill you with love and zeal and fervor and unite you with people you have nothing in common with just through the faith of Jesus Christ. I have been in moments 
where I have been in a crowded altar call. I'm talking a thousand young people. And one pastor come up, my pastor came up secretly behind me. I remember to this day. I didn't even know he was coming. And as he came behind me just to pray over his students and laid his hands on me, I felt like lightning just shoot through my body. And the Holy Spirit filled me again. Man, when you come to a worship service, it's really all about what you come expecting is this thing here to serve us, or am I here to serve Him? Amen. Am I here to be a part of an experience, or some kind of program, or just to check a box? Or am I an actual worshiper of God in spirit and in truth? We can have a worship service without any worshipers in it. We can have worship leaders who are not lead worshipers. We can have a service that's really all about serve us, because we've got two natures, flesh and spirit. And it's possible to have great religious works, but no worship. You can have a lot of great religious works, but no worship in them at all. Like Israel in Romans chapter 11, the previous chapter, Paul begins to say how Israel had fallen away from God. And he began to tell them how they had great religious works, but no worship. Their works were there, but God said their hearts were far from me. We can be disillusioned by all of our attendance to worship services. Israel's unbelief began to grow. Their hearts became hard. The Bible says few of them were saved, and God rejected them and turned to the Gentiles for a season. And that's what Jesus began to prophesy over them, that you have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. And your hearts are hard, and they don't understand. So God went to the Gentiles for a season. But Paul's real quick in Romans 11, because I'm setting the stage here. He says, but I want you to know something. God cut off the original branches and grafted you in. And don't think so highly of yourself that if you do the same thing they did, and your hearts grow hard and far from God, and you just trust in your works apart from grace and faith, if you just trust in yourself and don't keep trusting by faith in Jesus Christ, here's what he said in Romans 11:21: For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. What a word for the American church today, that if we keep going through the motions and we don't really encounter Jesus, and if we think that we are all okay because we signed a membership and got baptized in water and we have a church attendance record at a local church and we file out some denominational preference checklist and we have the right dress code and we say all the right things, that alone is not going to make the cut. He says, if you don't have, Jesus says, abiding in the vine, if you're not abiding in Jesus and producing good fruit from your life, Jesus said, God himself, the vine dresser, cuts off unfruitful branches. And he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers, people who were once grafted in the vine. He says, beware, you too could be cut away for disbelief. It's faith that saves, but it's not our works. So what's the solution here? There's a free gift of grace that's given in Christ. But you don't simply just receive that free gift and not produce good fruit. There must be a working out of worship on the inside of you. I hope that you don't come here and let us do all the work for worship for you. I hope that you come here and let God do a working of worship through you by the Holy Spirit. Not you working to worship, but Him working to worship through you. And we're going to talk about that here. So look with me in Romans 12. What is worship? Worship means I keep the worth. Somebody say worth. It's worth-ship. worth W-O-R-T-H, I keep the worth of God primary to my life, first place in my life. And the word worship literally means to bow low. It is a servant bowing before a king. We just sang that earlier today. It's a servant who bows in homage to a king to serve him. And that is where worship comes from. It means 
Worship is service. Worship does not serve us, but worship is service. Worship, you don't come to a worship service. Worship is service. Somebody say amen. If you're with me, come on. Worship is not something that serves us, but worship is service. And service is worship. It's where I bow low to serve the king. I bow low to serve the king. So my worship is service. Romans 12, verse 1. If you're there, somebody say amen. amen. You may have Christian works, but is Christ working in you? How do you live the spirit life? How do you become a worshiper and not just a worship service attender. So here's what Paul says, therefore, so he says, therefore, just because you know God didn't spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. I need to be a worshiper. I need to do this thing the right way. So that's what he says, therefore. So they always ask, what's it there for? That's how it works. So therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living, somebody say living, living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of Worship, spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what the will of God is. We're down to verse 13, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Through the grace given to me, I say, everyone among you, don't think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But to think is to have sound judgment. God's allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members don't have the same function, so we were many. But we're one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. And since we have gifts, they differ according to the grace given to us, each one. Each one is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in serving. Or in teaching, in his teaching. Or in exhortation, in, exhort, in his exhorting. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy. Do it with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Man, if I could do everything in there, man, I'd have it made, right? It's like, Paul, how can we do all this? How can I do this? Well, I'm going to tell you. The first through two verses are the solution to walking the rest of it out. I love this. This is one of my favorite chapters in, the, in Scripture because it is the picture for me of the perfect church. How is a church of worshipers, people who don't go to a worship service, but their worship is service, all right? Worship is service. Let me give you five quick things, five steps for working out worship in you. Five quick things for working out worship in you. Number one is go from dying to living. Go from dying to living. He says, living in holy sacrifice. A sacrifice is holy. It's because holy means set apart. It is dedicated to the purpose uh, of God. It's a, it, Paul is taking this Gentile uh, audience that he's talking to right now back into the old temple worship. He's reminding them of what a temple worship service used to look like. And he's telling them that a New Testament worship service is a lot similar uh, to the Old Testament. There are still sacrifices to be laid down in a New Testament worship service. And it says, back in the day, they brought holy sacrifices, things that were consecrated, set apart to be used for the purpose of God. Some things were to be burned up, but some things were just there to be holy. Instruments uh, of righteousness to God. And Paul says, your body, in Romans 6, are instruments of righteousness. Back in the day, they laid down beasts, but today, you lay down your body. 
Back in the day, they laid down animal sacrifices, but you come as yourself to lay yourself down when you come in the New Testament temples. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's you yourself. He says, but it's living now. So how's it living? He says, well, there's Jesus, and Jesus is that perfect example. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh, and in His body He died. And he laid himself down, but God rose him from the grave. It was impossible access for him to be held in his power. So the third day he rises, and he's alive, and he's ministering today. And he says, just the same way, if you die with Christ to death through baptism, you come back to life. Now you're living. That old man has died, but you are a living sacrifice. He's saying, be like Jesus. Be a living sacrifice like Jesus. And he says, this is your spiritual service of worship. That phrase right there is a little tricky. What does it mean? Uh, the word spiritual, some of your translations might say reasonable or rational because the word there comes from the Greek word. We get the word uh, logical. Logos means word. Logic uh, there is reason, rational. He says this is your rational, your reasonable, or maybe even your metaphorical, right? It's not a literal uh, sacrifice you're giving yourself, but metaphorically or spiritually is what he's saying. He's saying that this word, it's like he was the word. It's a living word. And he came, and it wasn't just this uh, act. It was a physical act that had spiritual meaning. And when you lay your life down, it's a rational, reasonable response to what Jesus has done. And it's not just something you do physically. It's something that is spiritual worship to God. And that word right there, uh, the worship, that word is, it's your spiritual ministry to God. Do you know that you are a minister of God? You, the Bible says that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. That every single person, I'm not the only minister in this room. You are all ministers. He says this is your reasonable, logical, metaphorical, spiritual ministry to God. If you want to minister to God, you'd be like a priest. You lay yourself down. And that minister, that word ministry is also the same word for worship. It's the same word for service. See, we think worship is this experience where we sing good music and we come and we raise our hands, but worship is ministry to God. It's something you do to honor the king. You bow low and you serve him. So uh, whether you sing good and you raise your hand good and you dress the part and you put your deodorant on and you put some perfume on, you came in here today, that's not worship. Worship is ministering to God. He says, you want to be sure that you don't be like Israel? Be a minister to God. Be someone who lays their life down. How do you do this? Jesus said, the hour is coming and now it's here. When true worshipers, true ministers will minister or worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is seeking such kind of people to minister to Him, to worship. When you come into a place like this, is your attitude, your heart, your your uh, being your whole body is it ministry to God as you go throughout your day and you go to your work as you minister or you walk with your kids you you walk through your marriage we're working through this life there's all parts of our life he says your whole self the word uh, body there is soma it's your your whole self it's your whole being he says your whole being is laying down before the king and as you lay that body down you are ministering to God just like David played the harp and ministered to Saul uh, uh, Saul you're ministering to the Lord with how you lay your life down before Him. So don't go from dying to living. Everywhere you die, that's where the Holy Spirit begins to live through you. 
David uh, Livingston was a great missionary to Africa, and he made all these great sacrifices. Man, uh, much of his time in Africa, uh, anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, he gave up all kinds of conveniences of life and, and basically died reaching the inside of Africa. And he was asked about that sacrifice. He, he gave his life as a living sacrifice. He said, here's what he said, though. He said, all these are nothing when compared to the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. He says, I have never made a sacrifice. I've never made a sacrifice. Of all this that you talk, when we remember the great sacrifice which he made, who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us, I've never made a sacrifice. Man, that's challenging. Is my life a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? Number two is this, go from conforming to transforming. We go from dying, and I lay my life down, and I begin to live to Him and for Him. I go from conforming to transforming. What does this mean? That word there, transform, means continue to be transformed. It's, it's repetitive. He says, continue to be transformed. How am I transformed, Paul? Uh, that word transform is the same word we uh, talk about metamorphosize. So there's a picture of a butterfly. It's the same word we get for the caterpillar going into the cocoon and coming out something different. He says, be continually transformed. Be continually changed, metamorphosized into something new. That the old man passes away, something new comes. So I know I can't do that. I've tried. It doesn't work so well. All my works, all my Bible reading, all my effort. I cannot transform myself into somebody else. I needed him to do that. And so he gives the solution in the next verse. By be transformed, because I'm like, man, Paul, I want to be something new, but I, I'm having trouble here. I'm laying my life down. I'm, I'm trying to die to, G, to die to self, to live to Jesus. He says, well, right, continually be transformed. By what? What does it say? The what? Renewing of your mind. Remember what uh, Paul said in Philippians, have this mind, have this attitude that was in Christ Jesus, that even though he was equal with God, it wasn't something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, he lowered himself, made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a slave, a bondservant, and came to death, even death on a cross. That's what he's saying. He's saying, take on the moment where you put on the mind of Jesus. Don't take thought for yourself, he says, with humility. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Think. Humble yourself and think about him. I, I can think about you and we can start comparing things. Well, at least I got this on him and he's got this on me or she's got, you know, I'm, I'm comparing with one another. Then that starts setting who's high and who's low. But like David Livingston said, when I think about what he's done, I've not done anything. When I think about his sacrifice, I've got no sacrifice. When I think about his holiness, I've got no holiness. When I think about his goodness, I've got no goodness. And he said, I put on that mind that he put on. And I begin to say, God, I am nothing apart from your grace. I am nothing without you. I'm not better than anybody else in this room or in this church or any other denomination or my spouse or my brother-in-law or my sister-in-law. I am a wretch far from grace, but by grace through faith, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. It's only him and him alone. And so he says, put this on. And as you begin to renew your mind in what he's done for you, not in your own power and your own self, but externally, it's like this. Externally, the world is bombarding you. 
They're trying to conform you into their image. He says conform. Conform is external. It means like I'm watching TV, I'm listening to those songs, I'm Instagram, um, roll, 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 roll. Man, that whole thing's targeted for you. I hope you know that. Man, they're targeting you. Men, they're targeting you to want you to watch all this lustful stuff. Teenagers, they're targeting you on how they want you to think and vote and all that kind of stuff. The world is targeting you externally, trying to conform you into their image. He says, but the Holy Spirit's different. The Holy Spirit transforms you internally. The world wants to conform you externally, but the Holy Spirit wants to transform you internally, inside your mind, as you focus on Jesus. You know, you are what you think about the most. You just said that you are what you eat, but I don't like that one, all right? Uh, but you are what you think about the most. And if I've got my mind set on Jesus throughout the day, I'm going to be conforming to His image. I'm going to be renewing. Miss Evelyn's always talking to us about, you know, uh, confess the Word. Speak the Word over your life. It's not that we just believe that it's magic, but as you begin to speak it, it's hard to think something else negative. It's hard to think faithless things when you're speaking faith and you're speaking the Word of God into your situation or into your life or you're memorizing those scriptures. If you're focusing on Jesus, your mind's going to be naturally renewed on the inside. And then your outside is going to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's from conforming to transforming. Number two, uh, three is from gaining to giving. Go from gaining to giving. So we're telling you how to be a worshiper. You begin with dying and you start living. You get from conforming, you come to transforming. Now you get from gaining to giving. I come in here to gain. I come in here to get. I come in here to want. I come in here to need. And that's okay. We all start there. And we're so glad you're here if you need something. And I need something. Every time I come in here, I need something. But man, I want to give back to God. I want to change that attitude of I need, I need, I need to say, God, how can I give? How can I give? And how does that work? Um, it's kind of like this. Each year uh, we do this thing with the local churches and ministerial alliance called Angel Tree. And this last year we were able to give like $33,000 in gifts away. Now, if you're on our Angel Tree team, you know that the, the, how this works. But we'll have, you know, uh, almost 300 families or so will come through this car line. And, and there's thousands, I mean thousands of gifts, right? Thousands of gifts. And we are out there loading these families, many single moms, down with these cars. And I didn't purchase, I purchased maybe a few. I didn't purchase all these gifts. But guess what I get? I get the joy of giving something I didn't purchase away. And, that, and you can't imagine the feeling. They're like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and I didn't purchase it, and the, my team didn't purchase it. But I still get to experience the joy of giving. I get to experience their life being changed, or that smile, or that cry, or that handshake, or that hug, or that thank you. I get the reward of giving something I didn't purchase. Now, here's the good news. When you come to church, and you become the body of Christ, Paul says, God has given gifts individually to each member as the Holy Spirit has given. And it says these gifts are charismata. There are grace gifts. They are gifts that God himself purchased through his son dying on the cross. And he gives them to you. And what does he give them to you for? To give them away. Give them away. You didn't gain that. I didn't earn it. God gave me the gift of pastoring and teaching. I did not earn that gift. I did not have that gift before I got saved. God gave it to me. Now, this is, I know if I left this job and I, I turned from God, that gift would be gone. It would go away from me, the ability to preach and teach. 
But God gave it to me, and I get the joy of giving it away. But it's not me. I'm going to tell you something. This is not Heath Harris. This, is, this church is not by Heath Harris, for Heath Harris, or to Heath Harris. This is all for Jesus. My life is all for Him. And everything I get, I get to give. I get the joy of ministering to teenagers on Wednesday nights sometimes. Or maybe today he says there's, a, there's seven gifts he lists here. He says prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy. There's other gifts in other passages of Scripture. There's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 there's uh, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, faith, healing, miracles, discernment, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. None of these gifts are exhaustive. I'll make a special note that if you notice, prophecy uh, is in all three lists. I think there's a special note on that. We don't have time today. But Paul says, desire earnestly the most beneficial or helpful gifts. He says, don't forbid gifts that are weaker like tongues. He says, don't forbid tongues and don't despise other people's gifts. And he says, don't think more highly of your gift than you ought to think. He says, we've all been given gifts for the common good, for the purpose of building up the body in Christ in love. He says, the greatest of all these things is love. But God has given gifts. And sometimes, uh, uh, if I can say this, we're kind of constipated with our gifts. We're a little selfish. We've come in here to gain, gain, gain. I want you to give me, give me, give me. But I don't even know what my gift is, and I don't know how to give it away. Or we've despised lesser gifts, or we've coveted the wrong gifts, or we put out gifts and say, I don't even think gifts are available today in the church. Well, find me that verse in Scripture, by the way. And all of these are in the same context, and there's three sets of gifts, and prophecies in all three, because prophecy is there to exhort. It's not in the world is ending now kind of stuff or weird things that go against the Bible or somebody yelling and screaming. It's, thus saith the Lord, I think God has a word for you. We had one earlier today. There's encouraging words. There's exhortation. There's words of knowledge and wisdom. There's this, man, I feel like I need to pray for you. Or let me call this person at 3 a.m. I, I would tell you right now, Saturday night or Friday night at 3 in the morning, I was up praying because God woke me up to pray for three people in this church. Because God knows what they're going through. Some of them are here today. God has gifts for you. And Paul says it's not about coming to church to gain. But when you come to be the church, you start learning how to give. And you get the joy of giving. Man, it's better to give than to receive. Man, see, this whole kingdom thing is upside down. It's all upside down. You see, uh, I'll give you another example. Uh, and I've said this before, at my kids, you know, uh, if Beth's birthday just was the other day uh, in, in the May, and, you know, your kids, they don't have any money, right? So they need your purchasing power. But they want to buy you, come on, uh, husband and wife, you know this, you got little kids, they want to buy mommy or daddy something. Well, they go ask you, can you buy mommy or daddy something? And I want to honor them to be able to do that, so I'll go let them pick something out sometimes, or for Christmas they want to buy the siblings something. What do you do, parents? You go buy the gift and let them pick it out. Well, the purchasing power is yours, but the desire to give is theirs. The same is true in the church. God's purchasing power is available for people who want to be givers. And if you ask God, Paul says, covet to prophesy. Covet the most helpful thing. Desire earnestly to prophesy. Don't forbid speaking in tongues, but desire earnestly the helpful things. He's saying, I'm looking for some people who want to be givers. And God wants to use giving people to build up the body of Christ in love. You are a divine pass-through if you're the church. 
Jesus says, abide in the vine. You'll naturally produce good fruit. That fruit is not for you to eat. It's for the nations to eat. That if I'm attached to the vine, that sap of the Holy Spirit flows through me, the branch, and goes out the other side and produces good fruit. And he says, every branch that bears fruit, my Father prunes that it may be more fruitful. But every branch, listen, that doesn't bear fruit, he cuts away. Go to the parable of the talents. He says, there was a t- one servant who got something from the kingdom, from the master, and he got gifts, and he didn't invest that gift and he says, you, didn't you know I wanted you to invest my kingdom into the world around you? And he says, take that slave, bind him, throw him out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because he didn't use what I gave to give it away. You want to be a worshiper? Go from gaining to giving. Lastly is this, go from doing to being. You see, the end there that I love so much ends of Romans 12 It's a list, I think, of Christ-like characters. He talked about the gifts, and this is really about the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is the whole last part of Romans 12. We don't have time to go into all of it, but it's really what he's saying is that we have to work out this stuff in us. And as you do these first things I've just mentioned, the result is going to be that Christ-like fruit comes from your life. As you become a living sacrifice, you begin to work out that Christianity in yourself. Paul begins with this. He says it begins with personal worship, personal service, personable ministry to who? To God. Let your life be a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual worship service. You come to the king. You bow your life down. You have secret prayer. Jesus says, go in secret and pray. Go into that Father's closet. Don't let your right hand know what the left is doing. Go to that place. Have a personal relationship with God. Have a personal prayer time, a personal worship time. And from the place where you begin to lay your life down, they'll become a public ministry. See, every public thing should start in the private. That private ministry to God. That personal time with you laying your life down will flow from you as you work that personal time out. Personal worship always ends with public worship. Personal ministry to God always ends with public ministry to Christ's body. What began as personal service results in public service. Begins to God and ends with two people. See, there's a deep worship of God that comes from the heart. Paul's saying it gets demonstrated in loving sacrifice to others. If you're a minister to God, you will be a minister to people. And how do I say this carefully? If you're not ministering to people, chances are you're not ministering to God. Can I be honest? If you've been in church any length of time and you're not ministering to people, chances are There's a deficiency in your prayer language, in your prayer time. There's a deficiency in your personal walk with Him, in devotional time, because naturally a personal ministry to God will result in public ministry to others. Can we just sober up there a little bit and just be honest? God is tired of worship services, but there is a worship that serves Him and serves others. And let's take it, like Hebrews says, let's go from the milk and let's get to the meat. Let's grow up into maturity and say, God, man, we want to be a people for your possession. Man, we want to be a royal priesthood to go out and tell the world how you've taken us from darkness 
into your marvelous light. God, we want to be the church. We want to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. We want to be the living sacrifice. And when people come in this room, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he says, guys, they're going to come among you and your gifts will be in operation. And they'll say, surely God was in this place. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? Paul paints us a picture. The true worship and true church services are loving without hypocrisy, hating evil, clinging to good, devoting to one another in brotherly love, preferring in honor, diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in every tribulation, being devoted to prayer, helping needy saints, practicing hospitality. Because worship is service, and service is worship. Worship is service, and service is worship. Where are you at today? If the Father was calling you today, where would He find you? He would call out to His son or His daughter. Maybe you're here today, and you are far and have been far from Him. Our loving, gracious, and heavenly Father has been calling you home, calling you to Himself. He's been watching you every night, wondering for the day that you'd come and surrender everything to Him, that He has sent His Son 2,000 years ago to pay the price for all of your sin, and He loves you that far in advance. He's willing to go the distance for you to die for your sin, to take your shame, to bear it on Calvary's cross, pay that penalty, win your freedom, and draw you to himself. How great a grace. You're here today and you say, Pastor Heath, I am tired of running. I'm tired of doing life my own way, and I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to give it all and just say, God, I lay my life down in worship. I bow at your feet and I give up trying. I give up seeking. I give up wanting. I just come to say, Jesus, here I am. Take all of me.